0: The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Amon, the king of Judah, even to this day, from twenty-three years to the word of the Lord, has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent you to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil way of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go out after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not do you harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you may might provoke me to anger with the
1: work of your hand to your own harm. Okay, this is the first exact date since the beginning of Jeremiah. This is in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the first year of Nebuchadnezzar uh, that all these things came about. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about what happened in this fourth year of Jehoiakim, the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Because this is really a significant period of time, and it would help us uh, to just think about this in historical terms. You've got Egypt down here, you've got little Israel over here, and (laughs) way over here you have the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, and so forth. And you had Assyria right here. And then you had Babylon. And Babylon starts beating uh, Assyria. Uh, the city of Asher was taken in 614, Nineveh in 612, you know, then Haran in 610, and finally they come up here to Carchemish. And at Carchemish was Assyria's last stand against Babylon. And that's when Pharaoh Necho, you know, sends troops through uh, Judah. Josiah is killed and he comes to Carchemish and Necho managed to stave off the Babylonians. He managed to hold Carchemish. This was in the year 609. Necho came back through, remember he took Jehoahaz into Egypt and put his brother Jehoiakim in on the throne. Well, in about 606, 605, Nebuchadnezzar managed to knock off the Egyptians in Carchemish. Once Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonians took Carchemish, guess what? Whoa, right on down into Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar takes off into Babylon, Babylonian captivity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, etc. That makes this date, you know, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, first year of Nebuchadnezzar, basically the year that determined the destiny of this whole Near Eastern world for the next 70 years. Babylon basically redrew the political map. When Babylon conquers Carchemish, They've got it free all down to the border of Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar eventually (coughs) invades Egypt. So, Nebuchadnezzar basically got a hold of the whole territory when he defeated uh, Egypt in Carchemish. Now, when Babylon conquers Egypt in Carchemish, remember who made Jehoiakim king of Judah? Egypt! he's an Egyptian appointee, he's a pro-Egypt king, okay, that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes right on into Judah, and forces Jehoiakim to change sides, you know, um, better be pro-Babylonian now, you know, Nebuchadnezzar outmuscled muscled Necho, and so that's what happens. Jehoiakim agrees, he submits to Nebuchadnezzar, he lets Nebuchadnezzar take a bunch of the sharp young men, and he starts paying tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it's interesting, in verse 1, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. It's kind of funny because the dual dating shows, we're talking about Judah, but the king that matters in Nebuchadnezzar. You know, doesn't so much matter as the fourth year of Joachim, it's the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's the real power, uh, the real superpower in this time. Now, according to Daniel, uh, Daniel 1.1, Daniel says, in the third year of the reign of Joah king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And this says in the fourth year. Here's the answer to that. You've got a lot of times where there are different dating methods. I forget at the moment which use which. But one, Judah or Babylon, used accession year dating, and the other one used non-accession year dating. Meaning, when it talks about the fourth year, we're counting Jehoiakim's first year as one. When it said the third year, we're not counting the first year as one. We start in the second year with one. There were, t- there were certain nations that used accession year dating, certain ones that used non-accession year. So it's really common to see a discrepancy of one year depending on which dating system was being used. Don't let that distract you from seeing what's saying. And really now what Jeremiah has been preaching all along is starting to happen. That's the real significance of this. When Babylonia, Babylon invades and takes some of the sharp young men into Babylon, here Jeremiah has been for years warning them, warning them, warning them. And now's where it starts to take effect. Uh, I'm going to pause here for a second and then we'll, we'll continue in, in what we're looking at in 1-7. to seven. Any comments or thoughts about all that? That, that first year um, was 6-9, right? 609 was when Egypt managed to hang on to Carchemish. When uh, Nebuchadnezzar managed to conquer Carchemish and come on into Judah was about 606, 605 in that time frame. So there was kind of two battles of Carchemish. The first one, Egypt hung on to it. The second one, Nebuchadnezzar crushed it. Sarah?
2: This footnote says in Palestine the ascension year was counted as the first year of the reign. Okay. whereas in Babylon it was counted separately. Very so. good, thank
1: you for that yeah. I thought that was the way it was but I wasn't sure So, <coughs> so Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have been the
3: king in the first battle? He was not, nor in
1: the second though we're calling him the king he, as he came into Judah right about that time is when his father Nabopolassar, I believe died and he became king. He actually left Judah, as I understand it, and went back to Babylon to actually be crowned. So, he's becoming king as, as he invades Judah, right there. He had formerly been the, the head of the army and the crown prince. Nebuchadnezzar was a big guy. I mean, basically Babylon, as far as they're they're being the dominant power seventy years. Forty-three of those Nebuchadnezzar was king. So he was almost Babylon Yeah. Oh, I think it's neat that you know Jeremiah's is prophesying, you know, alone
2: so much,
0: and then Daniel and the you know, three others came along, you know, yes
1: afternoon. I think that's neat. Yes. Really contemporaneous contemporary for a while. But in Babylon, where Jeremiah's back here. Then Ezekiel will be taken in the second way. He's in Babylon. Jeremiah's back here. So Jeremiah has counterparts in Babylon preaching the same message that he is. Jeremiah just prophesied forever. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a, he was a young man. Remember Jeremiah 1? He was a youth when he was taken. So look at verse 3. From the 13th year of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And therefore, this is what's happened. You know, Jeremiah has been warning them for years. Now they're getting a taste of what he's been forecasting. So he's already been prophesying for 23 years when Babylon comes in in this first raid, Well, he'll go on until the captivity, almost 20 years after that, and beyond that, he ends up down in Egypt with the remnant of the people who go down there. So he's got a career of 40 years plus prophesying. He's a really central figure in these last decades of the history of Judah, and the one God used to keep telling them to repent, and they just wouldn't do it. When they wouldn't do it, you know, verse 7, yet you've not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own heart. They wouldn't listen, God's going to destroy them. That's what's happening. That's why they begin to answer everything. I was wondering how many mornings Jeremiah was like, I just don't want to get out of bed. I want to go talk to these people. You you remember in chapter 20, he said, I decided just to quit. But the word of God was like a fire in my bones and I couldn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there were some times when it was uh, very discouraging. We feel that sometimes. Well, nobody listens anymore. Well, I, that's not so true today. But even if it were, we need to preach it. Alicia.
0: I think it's really interesting how he had, um, when you talking about his counterparts in Babylon, they were all teaching the same message. And so often, with false creatures, it's it's all kinds of conflicting messages. And like in the Bible, when they have to have false um, testimonies and stuff, they never match up. But we can see that it really was God because they all matched and it all came true.
1: Yeah, good point. That's exactly right. Yeah, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, even though they were in different venues, for example, they said very similar messages. And that is interesting. God has one... one, uh, a you know, lesson to teach and he teaches it to various prophets at various times and places. So,
2: The 23 years uh, and having to kind of wait and labor that whole time reminded me of the promise to Abraham about having a son and how many years he actually had to wait before that was fulfilled. Mm-hmm, good um, point.
1: So. Yeah, good point. Now, sometimes. And, and, and sometimes the delay makes people think it won't happen. not a good thing to think. Other thoughts? Okay, uh, 8 to 14.
2: Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because ye have not obeyed my words, behold, I will sin and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will sin to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will make and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take them, t- take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the, and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror and these nations will serve the, the king of Babylon seventy years. Then it will be when the seventy years are completed, I will punish the kings of Babylon, and that nation declares the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an, an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, and all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations as many nations and great kings will make slaves of them, even them, and I will re- recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their hands.
1: Okay, because you haven't obeyed my words, I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar and my servant and bring them against this land, against all the nations round about and destroy them. Now, it's very interesting that when they won't listen to God's servants, the prophets, God's going to send his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, to destroy them. I'm a little surprised that he would call Nebuchadnezzar his servant. I mean, you would think of that as sort of being an honorable title when it's being a servant of God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, God's servant. And there's two more times in Jeremiah that he calls Nebuchadnezzar God's servant. In 27.6... And in 4310. So what's the deal with Nebuchadnezzar being God's servant? God's using to accomplish his will. That's exactly right. Did Nebuchadnezzar really intend it that way? No, nor did he need to. God can use all sorts of things as his servant. Uh, In Psalm 104, the wind is God's servant. Uh, The nation of Assyria was God's servant in Isaiah 10. call Cyrus in Isaiah 44 and 45 my Messiah you know the anointed one sent to deliver the people from their captivity from their bondage so he can surely call Nebuchadnezzar his servant I mean remember the time when God used a donkey as his uh, spokesman you know God can use pretty much any instrument and then he used they as it spoke books may have been even more shocking than using the donkey, not a whole lot of difference maybe in some ways. Um, so God sends Nebuchadnezzar his servant not just to destroy Judah but all the nations round about I mean, there's not going to be anybody to help Israel because he, you know conquers all the nations in that region and,
2: and what happens in
1: verse 10?
2: He takes away joy and gladness and weddings and industry and light and all the good things of life. And silences them.
1: Yeah, it's the end of social life, the end of commercial activity. Uh, you know, the lights go out, everything's unplugged. This whole land will be a desolation of horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. When 70 years are completed, verse 12, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation for their iniquity and bring everlasting desolation on the king of Babylon. Isn't that interesting? God is an equal opportunity punisher. You know, he punishes Judah, but then he turns around and punishes Babylon for their iniquity. It is interesting. Babylon is powerful. But just 70 years. I don't believe there was any ancient empire of similar magnitude that lasted such a short time. Just 70 years. I mean, superpowers in that era usually lasted a lot longer. The Roman Empire, which was a far cry from just 70 years, right? And, and Persia lasted way longer than 70 years. Assyria had been dominant longer than 70 years. Egypt had been a superpower for, you know, a millennium or two. You know, and so 70 years seems really short. Can you imagine if you had been a political commentator in Jeremiah's day seeing the rise of Babylon, would you have predict, predicted it would be over in 70 years? I bet you wouldn't have. God knew they didn't. God often gives information that's quite even unexpected uh, from, from the standpoint. of of the appearances of things. And uh, so God's going to bring upon that land, verse 13, all the judgments he's prophesied against all the nations. Remember back in chapter one that Jeremiah was to be a prophet to the nations, not just to Judah. And so he's speaking about the judgment to come upon Babylon for many nations will we'll be uh, and great kings will make slaves of them so god is the one who's in charge of all the nations he brings them down when he wants to he raises them up when he wants to there's no exemptions when it comes to having to give account before the judge of all the earth every nation <coughs> is responsible to god and will answer to him so babylon wipes out judah 70 years later god brings babylon down Jeremiah is seeing all of that and showing what God will do. Comments and questions on those things.
3: Us, I think the foolishness of putting our trust in this nation. And people that, you know, we, God is in control of it. The nation is not God-fearing. You know, the leaders... And so God could be doing the exact same thing with this nation that He's done with those, because there were probably still good people in Judah. There may have been, you know, in, may have been good people in Babylon. Who knows? But a few, you know, God takes all that into consideration. But there, there's no guarantee, and, and it is just foolishness to put your trust in that.
1: Definitely.
3: And and look at the year. Look at the years we we've, we've been a nation getting
1: pretty long. You know, compared to... Longer, a lot longer than Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. To a lot of nations. And, you know, we ought not (laughs) to think, maybe you could say, well, God has used America sometimes to, you know, punish nations who deserve it. To bring Hitler down or whatever. Well, the fact that God used Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon didn't mean God approved of Babylon. It didn't mean they were righteous. You know, sometimes we get to thinking, well, if you do something good, and something for God, you know, that means God really likes you. Not necessarily. He may just be biding his time before he brings you down. <laughs> <laughs>
3: He's already used you. He's done. That's exactly right. <laughs> he used Babylon and then got rid of him. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. If, we, if we think that, you know, we've got a guarantee because God's always going to support the U.S. and uh, bless us. No. And, and thankfully, our allegiance is to God. You know, we want God's will to be done. It may be that just like he brought Judah down, and just like he brought Babylon down, he may bring the U.S. down. Those who are faithful to God are blessed, and they will be with the Lord. We just serve the Lord anywhere, anytime. Think about how devastating it was for Judah when they were brought down, when they went into Babylon captivity. It looked like, how can they serve God now?
3: That, and and their, their cries at that time, you know, we are the people of God, and we are Abraham's seed, and we, you know, this can't happen. I think we get, we start meddling with that same thing a lot of times with the God-given rights. You know, right. freedom is a God-given, no it's not. That's right. You know, and this is a God-given right, that, these are God-given rights, if you want to say if you, know, you have any and you do those whether you're a slave or whether you're a free country or, or whatever so uh, that's just it's really dangerous when we start talking that way because because it appears we put our trust in that and if that falls does our faith fall with it because that was our wasn't
1: well, If there was any nation that had God-given rights, it would have been the nation of Judah. <laughs> and what happened with that? I mean, they were the people of God, even in a special sense that the U.S. has never been, and that didn't exempt them from being taken into captivity and being judged. And, and part of what people like Jeremiah and Ezekiel were doing is showing the people that they can still serve God wherever they are. You serve God no matter what happens to the U.S. It doesn't matter what nation might invade and conquer us or what kind of political system the U.S. may invent or what kind of laws and judgments they may bring. You serve the Lord. You do what the Lord wants. Have people done what the Lord wanted under very difficult circumstances? Over and over and over again. And we may be in the same situation. Um, so Really, Jeremiah is is calling the people away from putting their trust in a nation to putting their trust in God. And it's exactly the same message that we always need. So, you know, isn't it interesting how people don't change? We need the same lessons that they needed back here. It's just always fascinating. The more you study the Bible, the more you realize, wow. Wow. You know, he could have written that five years ago. You know, and uh, sometimes you almost think they did, and then you're like, wait a minute, no, actually, this was for a long time ago, but it's still as applicable as it never was. Other thoughts and comments, if you All right. Well, this next section will get us into a long discussion, so maybe this would be a good thing to uh, to stop at and. Uh, and we'll uh, pick this up uh, with the uh, talent show weekend, I think. I think we'll have a good long while to uh, study Jeremiah then as well. And uh, we're really coming to what I would consider to be some of the most interesting parts of Jeremiah. To a great extent, over the next quite a few chapters, there's lots of stories about Jeremiah and stuff that happens to him. I always love the stories. They're always uh, interesting and exciting. Just a lot of stuff Jeremiah gets involved with, uh, including, you know, in, in even some of these, these sections and the rest of chapter 25. So we'll, uh, we'll work on that. Really good to have, you know, your involvement and attention and participation. I enjoy uh, being able to uh, share these things. So uh, that's good for us. Let's try to remember a lot these lessons. Jeremiah is the second longest book in the Bible. So it's a lot to read and study. But it's a shame when we don't. So, you know, sometimes when you're uh, projecting out your Bible reading uh, plans, include Jeremiah, even though it's going to take you a while. uh, Because it's definitely uh, worth reading
2: and and worth uh, giving a lot of thought to. All right, so why don't we uh, have a prayer before we quit.